Hello and welcome. You're listening to Voices from the Pews, the show that invites you to conversations with Catholics of color and those from communities of non-European origin so that we can get to know more about each other's faith, experiences, and stories. I'm your host, Lorna DeRose. In this episode, we are doing something different by bringing you an encore conversation with Sister Barbara Gutierrez of the Sisters of Notre Dame de Namur, which happens to be the very first episode of this podcast. Spanish is the official language of 21 countries and is the second most spoken language in the world after Mandarin Chinese. Each of the 21 countries where Spanish is spoken has its own particular devotion to the Blessed Mother. For example, Santo Domingo has Our Lady of Alta Gracia, Puerto Rico has Our Lady of Providencia, and Mexico has Our Lady of Guadalupe. In each of these devotions, we see that Mary, Mother of the Church, our mother, in a particular way, points us to her son, Jesus. Sister Barbara, in this conversation, shows us how Our Lady of Guadalupe, in an amazingly enculturated way, called both the indigenous people of Mexico and the conquistadores to her son, Jesus. I hope you enjoy listening. Sister Barbara, thank you so much for being with us. And I'm looking forward to our conversation about Our Lady of Guadalupe. Thank you for the invitation. I am happy to participate in this new project. And I it's wonderful that you are looking for new ways to engage Catholics in the Archdiocese of Boston. So thank you for the work that you do, Lorna. Thank you, sister. Absolutely. So what I would like to ask you is, many may know the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, but can you share that story with us? Yes, I'll be happy. Um, so one thing that is important to know is what was happening in Mexico when she appeared. I always think the context of the history is important to consider. And this was after the conquest of the Spaniards, the arrival of the Spaniards to Mexico. So I'm just going to talk about two different points of view and two different anthropologies. Indigenous people of the central part of Mexico, they believe that their existence dependent on the interconnectedness of themselves with the nation, within themselves, with the nation, with earth, and with creation. So despite the human sacrifices that they did to their gods, there was harmony within the self of the Indian and the relationship with creation and the relationship with the human among them in the tribes a deep respect for children. Now, the Europeans at that time, they believed that the true human being was a rational individual who could conquer 
whatever he could set to obtain. This is about 200 years. They arrived to Mexico about 200 years after the last crusade. And there was this constant competition among nations and they were discovering new lands. So anyone who did not seek to conquer was seen as an inferior uh, human being. So, uh, and then I said two anthropologies because the Europeans, they marvel about the order that they found in, in Mexico and the beauty of the imperial city of Tenochtitlan. But they were horrified and scandalized about the human sacrifice, which makes sense. Now, the Indians, they marvel about these men on horseback who arrive in, in huge moving islands, right? And they have magic weapons that could destroy it at a distance. And they were horrified by their cruelty and by their ease with which they kill men and women and children. So just to give you an idea that it was a very different point of view, the Indians were really suffering. They have lost everything. They have lost homes. They have lost their food. They have lost their religion, if you want. Uh, they have lost their self-value. And it's in this population that Our Lady Guadalupe appears. So there were five apparitions, four of them she appeared to San Juan Diego and one to the uncle of San Juan Diego. And the first apparition was on a Saturday on December 9th. And so she appears to him and identifies herself. And, and San Juan Diego hears the music in the mountain and the birds uh, singing, and he is taken by that. And, and something very important is that it was just at dawn. And that was a very important time of the day for the Indians. That's when creation will happen. So right when morning was coming, uh, San Juan Diego sees uh, Our Lady Guadalupe, and that's when she calls him my little son, my beloved little son, and she tells her that she wants a house, a temple built in that hill, and asks him to go and talk to the first archbishop of Mexico, who was a Franciscan friar. So he goes and talks to, to him and tells her, and of course the bishop doesn't believe him. Now, San Juan Diego told Our Lady Guadalupe, you know, I, I'm not the person that you're looking for. And just to give you an idea of how damaged was the self-worth of the Indians, he says uh, a very powerful phrase. He said, I'm less than a leaf. Uh, I'm less than a leaf. Now, leaf, the Indians use them to wipe themselves when they go, they used to go to the bathroom. And I'm sorry for this description, but it is important to understand that he says, but I'm less than a leaf. So that was the word that they have. And he says, they are not going to believe me. And she said, yes, they will. So he goes. Now, is in the same day on Saturday, about 5 p.m., when he is going back home, that she appears again. And he says, I told you so. He doesn't believe me. So she, uh, our lady says to Juan Diego, okay, you are going to go back tomorrow and you are going to tell him again. 
and Juan Diego Dos. I mean, he is so taken by the beauty and he's not afraid, despite the fact that he knows that his mission is almost impossible. He is not afraid of going because he can feel the love. He can feel that whoever is in front of him is, is someone special. So he goes again the following day on December 10. And when he is going back, it's about 3 p.m., Our Lady appears to him again. And he says again, I told you so. In fact, they have mistreated him and make fun of him, the, the guards at the gate of the palace. So she said to him, well, uh, you are going to come back uh, in a couple of days and I'm going to give you a proof. Because the bishop has said to him, well, if that is true, tell Our Lady to give you a proof. So that's the, the third apparition. And the fourth one is on December 12th. Now, uh, the uncle of San Juan Diego is very sick. And so the uncle says, can you bring the priest? Juan Diego and his family had been converted to Catholicism. So he, and they were very devout, uh, a very devout family. Juan Diego was single as, as much as we know about him. He was about 57 years old. You say he was one of the oldest who has seen an apparition of our Blessed Mother? That is correct. Uh, it's as far as I know, and she, number one, is, is one of the few adults, but uh, he seems to be the oldest person that has witnessed an apparition. You are correct. Uh, so, so long story short, he, he goes around the hill because he doesn't want to be stopped by Our Lady and Our Lady finds him. And he explained that he cannot do what she is asking at the moment because his uncle is very sick. And she says to him, do not worry. He's not sick anymore. And that brings peace to Juan Diego. And he believes that. So uh, it's in that moment that she asked him to go to the top of the hill and cut some flowers that are going to be there. The flowers were roses. Roses didn't grow up in Mexico at that time. He cuts them and puts them in his uh, tilma, which is the kind of cloak that, that Indians wore on top of their clothing. And when he goes back to her, Our Lady rearranged the flowers and sends him to see the bishop. So that was the fourth apparition. The fifth apparition is while he is on his way to see the bishop, Our Lady appears to Juan Diego's uncle and heals him. And uh, the rest of the story is, is better known. On December the 12th, he goes and finally they let him see the bishop. He experienced a lot of trouble with the guards. They don't want to let him in. And not until he shows them what he's in his tilma. This is not written, but, you know, I have seen it um, in some legends that every time they try to touch the roses, they couldn't. So that's when they get a little bit scared, the guards, and let him in. And then when he sees the bishop, he says, he's the proof that, that you ask me. And when he lowers the tilma, the image has been impregnated in the tilma of Juan Diego. Now, all this information was recorded in a document in Nahuatl called Nikan Mopoa. And it was written in um, 1556. 
it is in Nahuatl and it tells all the details of the apparitions. So that's the story of the apparition. That is an amazing story because he didn't feel like he had any agency or any power. And to come in and ask to speak to the bishop and speak to him about Our Lady, that must have been a very frightening thing for him. Um, I can only imagine, you know, coming in and people just making fun of you or even just ignoring your presence and thinking, okay, some crazy guy coming in here. It is. And, and you know, it speaks, uh, I, I say that it speaks of the bishop again, uh, Juan de Sumarra, who, as I said a few minutes ago, was a Franciscan. Mm-hmm. It, it speaks to his kindness to the Indians because mm-hmm. uh, he received him the first two times. You know, even when he, they made him wait a little bit and he, he received him. Sometimes I wonder if we'll have seen uh, people in the new government of, you know, uh, which was conformed by Spaniards, they probably wouldn't even pay attention. But he talks about the kindness of Juan de Sumarraga to the Indians. That's unusual. And it's good to know that there were some who were kind and respected mm-hmm. the Indians then. Coming back to Juan Diego opening up the tilma and what the image was that the bishops and those around him saw. What was that image? And can you share with us what it represented to both people from Spain, from Europe, as well as to the Indians themselves? Yes. When we read in the documents, it really took about a hundred years for the devotion to really took a strong hold of the people. And, and we need to think we cannot compare that time with our time. When Michael sent you an email, the communication is instant. So what happened with the image? The image stayed in the house of the bishop. And it stayed there for a while until the bishop uh, built the first chapel on top of the hill, as Our Lady had requested. So building a chapel, you, you can imagine how long that took. The image was taken there and then taken to a second chapel and, you know, it was moved to different places. But uh, it is important to notice that it wasn't an instant devotion, although it really created a new beginning among the Indians because it returned somehow a little self-worth. This image identified with them. The racial features are mestiza, which is the mix of the blood. Uh, that's how they call mestizos, the children uh, that were born between Spaniards and Mexica Indians. So that's a, a, an important point. Her face is brown. Uh, her face is uh, slightly inclined, which is a sign of humility. And this is despite the fact that she was she's standing in front of the sun. Now, the sun was the greatest element in the Indian culture. You know, the sun governed over the earth and the stars and the moon. The most powerful element in the universe was the soul, the sun. And not even the emperors could stand in front of the sun. And here is this 
image of a woman standing in front of the sun and you can see the rays of the sun coming behind her. So that's very important. The color of the skin is brown. She's standing in front of the sun. Her eyes, they had done studies and they are images reflecting in both eyes. And the angle of the reflection has been studied again many times and describes uh, people in front of her at short distance. Um, the hair, it, I mean, we know that she is the image of a virgin because among the Indians, there were social norms and Mary woman had to wear their hair braided and hold it in the top of their head. And her hair, we can see it is divided at the center and loose. So again, that was a symbol of virginity. Uh, her hands are in the front in prayer position, which was an important element for the Europeans. And then she has a little brooch on the top of the dress. And that brooch has a cross, it's a very visible cross. So again, that was important for the Europeans. And the position of the brooch at the beginning of the neck is frequently where the Indians place precious stones in their idols, in the statues of their idols at the same level of the, under the neck. It has a uh, significant for both Europeans and Indians. The belt on the dress, brown, uh, means that she is pregnant, which is beautiful. Now, the fabric on the dress resembles European embroidery with the Mexican flora. And this is where I want to talk a very special flower that is throughout the, the dress that is called Cerro Corazón, which means the flower of the heel and the heart. And these flowers had a tremendous importance to the Indians. And as I mentioned at the beginning, they were very connected with nature, with the creation. And um, the flower is in shape of a mountain and a heart. And seeing in the regular position, it looks like a, a hill, like a mountain, which again is important for the mountains, were important for the Indians. Important things happen in the top of the mountain. And that's why some theologians talk about the apparition of Mary and the apparition of God, uh, the apparition of God, you know, when Jesus goes on top to the hill. And that's uh, the significance of the flower. And then the roots of the flower tend to go to water. And in this case, they go to the mantle, which means uh, water and heaven. So that was another important meaning for the Indians. If you turn the flower upside down, it looks like a heart, which the Indians needed to believe that their gods needed that heart remain alive. And here's Our Lady telling them, I have the heart right here, and you don't need to give me anything to keep me alive. So there's a lot of, of meaning. I could go for hours, but one of the last uh, comments I will say is that the stars in the mantle, they have done several studies, and the stars in the mantle resemble the constellations visible in the night sky in December in 1531 the year that she appeared. So it's really significant. I, I wish I could show you this somehow, but um, I'm describing it as best as I can. I could probably post a picture of that along with the pod. 
maybe put like a thumbnail and and send people an, a, a link to the image. Yes, that will be great. So, so that will be what I can tell you about the image, the significance of the image. Uh, uh, one more thing is that she's standing on the moon. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said previously, in front of the sun, and that is great significance. I just am amazed because these, I mean, this image, there are so many things that I think are very symbolic and held in high esteem within the various Indian cultures. But to the Europeans, there are also symbols that they too could grab onto and understand that this is the Blessed Mother, the brooch with the cross, the lady with the sun over her head and the moon at her feet. And that's coming right out of the the book of Revelations, um, where we describe the woman clothed I forget the the whole passage, but essentially these are things that both cultures because with the stars. Yeah, that's right. So mm-hmm. In the stars, it, yes, it had it. It really had a significance that was attracted to both cultures, and I think that helped to begin to build a bridge in faith, um, which perhaps helped to. I don't know if it completely helped there to be a a, a coexistence, but I'm assuming that there was a bridge formed in their faith and that they both cultures could say, this is my mother and this is a God I can worship. Yes. And and it, it was our lady, you know, the mother of God, the mother of the Indians. She made that clear when she tells Juan Diego, am I not here who I'm your mother? Mm hmm. What else do you need? I mean, and you are, and I'm holding you in the bosom of my arms, in my arms, in my bosom. And that, uh, again, it was very significant. There was this mother of God that they were told, but it was this mother of God that looked like them in a way that made sense to them, that had so many elements that were precious to them. So it was a new beginning because in one way it returned some dignity to the Indians, uh, but also helped them to believe in God, in the same God that the Europeans were talking about. So it was a very powerful element of the evangelization of the Indians, but it came with that love and with that humility yeah. You know, more than anything, humility. So mm-hmm. that was the meaning at that time. It wasn't instant. And when people said, well, why it took so long? Well, how long did it take to build a chapel at that time? Right? Sure. I mean, in some cases, we know it would take a couple of generations to build, you know, a church and many more to build a cathedral. So never mind a chapel. I'm sure that took a long time. Yeah. I mean, the Metropolitan Cathedral took a hundred years, so much that you actually see a couple of different archaeological styles. So that's what it meant at that time. And what it means today, I visit the, the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe every time I go to Mexico. And there are staggering demonstrations of faith. Mm. And it's a place where we all come together. Uh, one can see people with lots of money 
praying to her. One still can see Indians coming from the little towns away from Mexico City, young people, older people, children, all colors of people are there, people with tattoos, you know, people who look rough, right. so, but they are there. And, and people who look gentle, perhaps a teenager right. of a child. So it's, it's a place where everybody goes and everybody has the same value once one enters the basilica. Now, the new basilica that was built in the 70s is a circular shape and it has a capacity for 10,000 people. That's amazing. Isn't it? 10,000 people. 10,000 people are able to enter the basilica. And the shape, Lorna, it doesn't matter where you enter, you always look at her. Even if it's right from the side, you, you can still see her. That's wonderful. Yeah. When we're thinking about the messages, you know, for people in the 16th century when she appeared and to us in the 21st century, you know, she is the Empress of the Americas, if you will, but she's also our mother. And I think when I'm thinking about these times that we've been going through, especially 2020, what does that say to us now during these very difficult and turbulent and uncertain times? Well, you know, I was talking recently to a group of people in Zoom. We had a prayer service for Advent and, um, and the role of, of Mary. And, and is that waiting? It is the love and the trust of the people. Just knowing that she, again, just the, I think the word mother encompasses everything. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that she is our mother and that she is going to intercede for us with God. There's nothing, you know, I almost think if I did something when I was a child and I would not tell my mom because I was too afraid of my dad and I wanted my dad to tell my mom to get me out of trouble. Well, that 20 times more, right? Today when we have so many afflictions and, and worries. And when I hear today of 300,000 people dead because of the virus mm -hmm. just in this country, it just knowing that our mother is is with them knowing that our yeah. mother has been with them all through that process is knowing that our mother goes with the migrants when they come mm -hmm. desperate because no one wants to leave the place where they were born it's a place with your own language when you have the neighbors when is is your food no one likes to become an immigrant right. um and she's with them. Uh, it's very difficult to explain. I and you know, as much as I was able to explain the history and what mm -hmm. uh, the image and the elements of the image that are important, something that I cannot is the experience of being there. Right. It is the experience of the faith and the hope and the love that is felt. Again, once one enters the church and, and people carry her with her, you know, it's, it's interesting to know when people in Japan were talking 
1700s, when the missionaries go there, they ask the people to deny God. And, and the way they do it is they ask them to step into images of God. And among those images that they had for people to step in was uh, they have found images of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And they had them in, step on. Yeah those images as a way to deny yeah. God. And, and, you know, she wow. was there. We're talking 1700s and she was, there, and she was already in Japan. And she was already in Japan. In Japan. Right. My own congregation, I'm a sister of Notre Dame de Namur, and in France, our congregation was established in France in when the three, uh, Saint-Julie, Villiard, Francoise, Blinda Bourdon, and Catherine de Chutel, when the three of them consecrated their life to God in 1804, mm-hmm. they were given a medal by their spiritual director, Father um, Burian, and they, they were given a medal. Each of them got mm-hmm. exactly the same medal, and the medal is of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, there's also a connection to Spain as well, right? Yes. And this is important also for people to know. There was Our Lady of Guadalupe in Monterrey in Spain. And and Hernán Cortés, one of the conquistadores, he was the vote of this representation of Mary. And it was mm-hmm. Guadalupe in, in from Spain. So, so the name is not... Exclusive, actually, when she appeared, she wasn't called Guadalupe immediately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so again, it's the merging of the two of the two worlds. But yes, there's a, Our Lady of Guadalupe from Spain, uh, which is not known today. Mm-hmm. And really, Mexicans had, had brought Our Lady of Guadalupe to all over the world. I mean, here in, in Revere, well, in, in several temples, but in, Revere, in several churches, but in Immaculate Conception in Revere, every December 12th, they bring the mariachis at 5 a.m. and they sing the mañanitas. And they used to do it also in, in Lawrence, Our Lady of the Assumption. And it's really powerful, really powerful to go there that early with the people and the singing and you see people crying and you see people praying to her. They bring her with them because they know she loves them because it's their mother. It's, it's that knowledge that, that you are okay as long as she is taking care of you. She's there and she's holding you and she's pointing you toward her son. Yes. And she's guiding you. Yes. So, of course, having that comfort. Yes. Especially in your new country, in a new place, a new language, new food. That really helps you to feel more not alone, not isolated, and affirmed. Yes, so so it's a very strong. Um, it's it's our mother for all of us Mexican, and and you know there's a, a a phrase that says "ser mexicano es ser guadalupano," which translates if uh, being Mexican is being Guadalupan. I mean that we belong to to Guadalupe, right? When she belongs to you, so. Well, this has been amazing, sister, and thank you for sharing this beautiful story of Our Lady and uh, the connections that she helped make for the Indians to God and as well as to Europeans as well. And she continues to this day making the connection 
for all of us, um, helping us not to feel alone, not to feel isolated, helping us to understand that she's pointing us to Christ. Yes. Um, no matter where we are. Yes. Well, it, thank you. It's, it's a, a brief moment. It's difficult to to put so much history and so much meaning and, and so many examples into a short period of time. But again, uh, I will just like to finish by saying, you know, the, the Basilica of Guadalupe is the second most visited basilica in the world after St. Peter's. That is amazing. Yes. I knew it was very well visited by many, um, but I didn't understand it was like the second most visited basilica after St. Peter's. Yes. And and it is uh, the site of the largest pilgrimage uh, in the world, a- about 20 million visitors a year. So, you know, and, and lastly, it's all over the world. I'm just amazed of the places that I can go. And she's right there. <laughs> And she is in Belgium, and she is in France, and she's in Italy, and she is in New York, and she is in Colombia, and everywhere. And it's significant to me how she has bridge. It's, it's the bridge among the people in, in the world. And again, I'm really happy to be here and share this, and I'm sorry I'm not able to share the faith and in but it feels to be there but it's 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 impossible so i hope uh people who are listening have some time and opportunity to visit the shrine in mexico city well one day when we're all able to travel comfortably i'm sure people more many more people will have that opportunity perhaps we can do another episode after some time sister about our lady just a little bit more looking at perspectives Yes, yes, I'll I'll be happy. We can talk a little bit more about perhaps how is she view around the world. Yeah, Um, I think so. Yeah, but I'm again, thank you very much for the invitation. It has been a privilege. It has been an honor. It's it's a privilege to talk about her and it's an honor to talk to you. You have to be very proud of yourself for starting this new project. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to participate in it. Before the podcast goes on break from the end of December until the end of January, we will have one more reflection for Advent. In the meantime, please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Voices from the Pews to see articles of interest and to find out what's happening behind the scenes on the show. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Pews, produced by Lorna DeRose. Audio editing and post-production by Byron Lee. Music composed and performed by Andre Louis. Social media assistance provided by Jacqueline Brunash. Web hosting provided by Beyond the Brand. Connect with us at VoicesFromThePews.com. See you in the next episode. Thank you for listening.